Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anul Polat. Welcome to this episode. This is episode number 50. It is the episode right before the last episode. Not the last episode of all time, but the last episode for this part of the year before the podcast goes into a hiatus, which is turning into kind of an annual thing. But I'll talk more about podcast hiatusing in the next episode. Today, we've got a couple of interesting topics. It's been really busy around the Fox Nomad parts, I guess you'd call it. So in what seems to be a natural discussion, we're going to talk about developing travel apps for iOS today. I mean, I have travel apps on Android as well, but we're going to talk about iOS things because there's a couple of news that I want to share with you about that. Then we're going to talk about teleworking and remote work and the backlash that a lot of tech companies are facing now that employees are starting to have to go back to an office potentially. Then I want to catch you up on some drone news about a French drone tourist we talked about a couple months ago who was arrested in Iran for flying his drone. There are some updates there. Speaking of drones, a man flies in on a drone, literally into Times Square. Talk about what that actually means. And then finally, I want to share with you a U.S. lost mega city. Basically, it is a mega city in the middle of the United States, one of the oldest in the world. It is a very interesting site that you might want to check out. You can easily so, so socially distance there. So let's uh, let's get into all of those things. So it's been pretty busy uh, in terms of what I've been up to. I've been applying what turned into like a smaller sort of targeted trip is now turning into a larger, longer trip due to visas, uh, which actually has kind of worked out well. So I'm, I'm applying to some pretty difficult visas, some moderately difficult visas, and this has turned into a pretty big adventure for the end part of the year. I'll have hopefully more news by the next time that you listen to this episode, and then I can hopefully share more of my my plan, my route with you, and give you some updates. Obviously, you can follow Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all those places if you want to uh, keep up with my travels, but um, there are some some pretty interesting things uh, going on. I'm kind of constantly refreshing my inbox. I'm like, did I get that permit, that that visa I wanted, that little bit more of this travel puzzle, but it's looking pretty interesting. Really looking forward to that. Um, but before those travels happen, which will happen probably as we go into hiatus, but um, before those travels happen, I've got a lot of uh, content, travel content and tech content coming up on the site. A lot of you have been asking me questions on YouTube to make certain videos so uh, in the live chats. And so there you go. You're going to get some requests coming up. So anyway, that's just what's happening. But really what's been taking a lot of my time lately, especially, well, it, it takes a lot of my time in general, but lately is developing and upgrading all of the apps that I've developed for iOS and Android, um, but the iOS apps right now focused on those to upgrading those and adding a lot of more, a lot more features to make them a lot more usable and a lot more just adding a ton of things to help you travel smarter, which is the point of making, you know, anything that I make, I hope you end up traveling smarter because of it. So as you're listening to this, and I hope I, I hope the timing is right, but as you're listening to this, the latest version of TipFox is out on iOS. It is free for you. If you are listening to this podcast within the first week that the podcast is released, 
Then if you go to the iOS store right now, if you click on, go to the app store, search for TipFox or Fox Nomad, find TipFox. It's one of the five travel apps I have out on the app store. Download it. It will be free for about a week after this podcast. So you can check it out if you don't already have it. And what you'll notice is there are a couple of new things. You can also, when you download the app, get 30 days free for the premium version. These are all new features. They are designed to make basically sort of a enhance your travel experience. So TipFox is an app that tells you how much to tip for everything around the world. That's not, not just generally how much to tip, although that information is there, but like, hey, you're going to a, a barbershop in Botswana or you've got a guide, you know, you've got a, a guide in the Amazon jungles in Ecuador or, you know, you, you, your taxi in Russia. How much do you tip, not just by country, but by city, by location, from the airport, all those things. TipFox is your guide for that. And if you try out the premium version, as soon as you land in a place or you drive into a new city, you're automatically going to get an update on your phone. You're going to get a notification, which is going to tell you how much to tip for the basic services. And then if you go in through that notification, there's going to be a lot more details within the app. But at least when you, you know, you land in an airport, boom, it's going to pop up on your phone. If you have a drone, DroneMate is going to boom, pop up the information for you there. If you have Wi-Fox, it's going to pop up the information for you there. And guess what? Faucet Safe and GrassFox do similar things as well. So TipFox, you land, you get all of this tipping information, plus you now get 24-7 customer support. This is for premium users, but again, you can try that for 30 days. And what that does is, hey, let's say you, you're on a trip right now, you're in the Galapagos, you're getting back into cellular range, and you're wondering how much should I tip my guide? Well, if that information for your specific trip, maybe your trip is like a luxury 20-day trip, or maybe it's a shorter, more budget trip, you know, you're, you're not quite sure how much to tip the guide, for example, then you can just send us a message through the app and get an almost instant reply, which we'll try to get back to everybody within 24 hours. Um, and so you have that 24-7 customer support. You can know how much to tip. I, we, I say, because it's not just me developing it now, but we get all this information from local contacts, from our own travels. There's a lot of expertise that goes in to all of the apps that I've developed. Um, and TipFox is one of those. So um, you have that. So you always know how much to tip, whether you should tip. Those weird situations where maybe tipping isn't acceptable in this culture, but like I, I'm used to tipping and I, I really like this guide or the service was great and, and I you know is it appropriate how should I tip all of that stuff hotel maids all of those things that's in TipFox and you can download it free for being a podcast listener you get those kind of perks so you can download it for free and get 30 days free for the premium version like I said this can you know contains data for every country in the world cities locations to the neighborhood you want it, you got it, it's all there. So that's TipFox, and that's uh, out on iOS now, but I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what the process is like actually developing an app for iOS. So then this has been a learning process um, over the last five years now that I've been developing travel apps um, 
for Apple. It's a little bit different for Google. And things change often. Uh, you know, every six months to a year, things change. The rules change what you can do and how it works. But essentially, you, you know, you, you code up an app, you know, you, you come up with an idea, storyboard it, um, which is, this is my process. I don't know if everybody else does it. Believe me, in the beginning, it was a pretty ragtag operation. So I'm pretty sure I didn't do everything right or the most efficient way. Um, and, and I'll talk about those mistakes. So, so if you have any development experience, you can know how, how dangerously close I came to doing all kinds of things that would terrify most developers. Now, uh, so code it up, um, you know, and then it goes into essentially sort of an internal testing. So now, you know, like these modifications we made to Tipfox, there's a lot of testing that goes on. So you make one change, um, then you got to test the back end, the front end, you got to give it to, you know, testers who are going to do things with the app that you never thought you were ever going to do, like weird button combinations, clicking a button like three times really fast, the weird stuff that like, you're like, hey, you're not supposed to do that, but, but people do it. And just sort of uncovering things like crashes, security flaws, um, making sure things work as they're supposed to. So that all goes into that. And then uh, once that's done, you know, we send that update to Apple. Um, then they they review it internally. Sometimes I'll get a call or an email asking me questions. Hey, we, we, you know, what what does this thing do, or why did you make this change? And now that we're working with premium users, so we we uh, are basically I want we're going to use the term tracking, but I'm also going to talk about how anonymized everything is in all of my apps. But uh, because there's tracking and there's payment information that's being processed by Apple, but it's still happening through our app, that all that stuff gets evaluated at a different level. So the App Store, uh, you know, submitting an app to the App Store takes takes a little bit. So uh, right now I'm waiting, as you're listening to this, for an update from Apple for the latest uh, update, which fixes a couple of bugs that I uncovered that I didn't even know existed in the app. They just... There are like some very random ones that we came across during testing, looking for other types of bugs and flaws and fixes. So that's essentially what what the process is like. Submit it to Apple, wait a couple days, uh, hopefully get a, a good response, and then decide when to release that to the App Store. When we decide to release it to the App Store, it usually takes about 24 hours for it to roll out as an update to everybody. Um, and, and there are kind of some little quirks as well. So in in the case of the Fox Nomad apps, they're all localized to about 30 different languages. So when I write an update, you know those little update notes you get on iOS, you know, when you when you are updating your apps, I got to do that for every language that the app is available in. So there's like little things like that, little, you know, that takes some, that takes some time. Um, so there are all these little things that go into it. Um, and now we've got other developers helping out um, so it's, you know, keeping track of code and all those things. I, I've gotten more organized, making sure that, you know, I'm not deleting somebody's changes or stepping on somebody's toes if they're making changes to the to the code. But back, you know, originally it was just like one, it was just like making changes to the master repository all the time. Um, if you're a developer, you know what that means, but that's basically the, the, the production code. Um, and now you know i'm using it's a little bit more nuanced than that but um 
So that that's where we've gotten um, with that. So I just wanted to share a little bit of that process. Uh, a lot of people don't know how that all works. Like when you make an update, uh, they don't know the process of Apple's reviews and Apple, you know, checking in, which which is nice. So they'll, they'll look at things like, you know, are you handling things securely? Is the app doing what you say it's going to do? Um, how do you like when you register a subscriber? How do you how do you track that person? Uh, and speaking of tracking, uh, Apple has made some changes, uh, some big changes uh, to iOS to limit how much apps can can track people. But I'm I'm proud to say that you know when we go through that privacy review with Apple, which I've gone through a couple of times now uh, recently, I can say that the Fox Nomad apps do not track you. Eh, technically, they do track you if in certain ways. So if you give it, you know, location permission, then the app will know where you are, but that's limited to within the app. We don't collect any of that information. So that stays on the app. I don't, I don't, I don't care where you are. Um, and then there are some identifiers that the application uses for your phone. So if you're a subscriber, how do we know you're a subscriber? How do we know how long your subscription lasts? Well, we've got to find a way to be able to identify you. But instead of using the raw data from that's available from your phone that a lot of apps do use, uh, I have since the beginning gone through the extra step of anonymizing that data to the point where I cannot use any of the information from the app to find out who you are, to track your specific phone. It's anonymized. So by the time it, you know, it gets to the you know the backend servers we, we don't really have you know it's it's privatized um, and anonymized and that's just something I've done at the beginning because you know I'm I'm a privacy conscious in my security background I'm also paranoid and that's how I feel like all of you probably might be as well so why not uh, so those are some things but a lot of apps have had to make. Uh, some pretty big changes because they do track you. They do a lot of tracking, and Facebook, for one, is is pretty upset about these changes. They're 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 sort of sounding sounding the alarm, which is you know kind of funny. They they're saying, well, Apple. In this article, they're saying, well, Apple is just going to end up running their own app store and their own ads in their own app store, which they did just roll out. So they added some extra paid for advertisements in the app store, which are available to developers like me now. Um, but I think Facebook's issue is they they do a lot of tracking of you through your through the app on your phone. Um, and so a lot of people don't realize that you're giving up a lot of information to app companies because they haven't had to before think about your privacy. And it's really nice to see that Apple has implemented this. Um, whether or not it's to help them increase the number of ads in the app store, I, I think it's worth it. I think you're going to see Google doing something similar to on Android. Um, so that's a little bit about developing iOS apps. It's been on my mind because we're going through uh, this this sort of this crazy development period right here in the sort of in the Fox Nomad time, uh, bug testing, getting ready for a bunch of new apps. But yeah, TipFox is available as a free download. Make sure you go to the App Store, TipFox, get it, try out the premium for 30 days. Check it out. If you're going anywhere, like anywhere, you're gonna find the information super useful, and uh, the customer support is just it's just great. It's like a travel buddy with you all the time. If you travel with the drone, 
hey, we've got that 24-7 customer support there too for all your drone inquiries. A lot of good stuff happening. A lot of great things. A lot of interesting and fun things. Even if I am just a little bit, you know, a little coding into the night sometimes. But um, finally, finally, we're ready with, with some uh, releases. All right. So after this, I'm going to talk about the next story. Talk about some things about teleworking and why a lot of people aren't happy about going back to the office. All right, so this is interesting. A lot of people have been enjoying teleworking for the last year, thanks to thanks to the pandemic. Yeah, so a lot of people have been enjoying teleworking, and now that you know, at least in the U.S., the vaccines are rolling out widespread. A lot of companies want their employees to come back to the office, and a lot of employees are not happy about that uh, for a lot of reasons. So there's this article from the BBC, the Google boss, uh, uh, Sundar Pichai, emails staff detailing return to office. Chief uh, Google's chief executive has sent an email to employees encouraging them to return to work in the office for approximately three days a week as lockdowns ease. The firm began reopening offices in April and now has laid out a plan of details on how it envisions a new hybrid working week and so on and so on. So offices are starting to open up, but perhaps unsurprisingly, there is some backlash. Apple employees recently rallied against an office working plan and have launched a campaign to push back against Tim Cook's plans for widespread return to the office, according to reports. It follows an all-staff memo at Google, the other major tech company over here, uh, in which Apple boss said workers should be in the office at least three days a week by September, but staff are de uh, demanding more flexibility, according to an internal letter obtained by the news site The Verge. This letter says Apple's policy has, quote, already forced some of our colleagues to quit, unquote, it said. Without the inclusive inclusivity that flexibility brings, many of us feel we have to choose between either a combination of our families, our well-being, and our empowered to do our best work or being part of Apple, the letter said. Over the last year, we felt not just unheard, but at times actively ignored. Now, this brings up a couple of interesting things. As the world is experiencing Extremely hot weather, unusually like record-breaking, super hot weather. We've got to talk about climate change. We've got to think about a couple of things. One, people who want to work from home. If you work from a, a laptop, you know, I, I almost don't think there's really any need for a permanent office or to go, go into an office. It, to me, doesn't make sense. I'm a little bit crazy about this topic. Um, but also, like, if you think about... One, it cuts down on emissions, so people are driving less, so less, less carbon emissions, and then people are, you know, car accidents are a major. There are so many car accidents every year. People driving less means less car accidents, means less people in hospitals, less people dead. I know it sounds something like an exaggeration, but if you think about the benefits of actually not driving if you don't have to, there are quite a few. So. There's that. The second thing is a lot of these companies have built these massive offices, again, large carbon footprints, but it, they built these big offices and they understandably want their employees to be in those large offices that, that they've built. But, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, like, are we, is, is that an old mentality that is, is doomed either by, you know, people now there's so many people now who have wanted to telework, who've gotten rejected from their bosses. And I think the last year, if you've done a good job teleworking, which I think more people have been more productive 
and you tend to work more when you telework. You're always online more, um, but you get to spend more time with your family. You get to eat healthier uh, because you can cook at home. Um, there's so there are a lot of benefits. I, and not everybody likes working from home, but I think people should be given the option. And some companies are actually doing that and coming up with a really, I think, an interesting um, option sort of to give their employees. So perhaps in line with this, Google will now show employees how their pay may change if they move offices. So this is from CNET. This came out about a week ago. Uh, it says the search giant has said it will determine salary by region. So people leaving expensive cities like San Francisco may see decreases. Google on Tuesday rolled out a tool for its employees to request an office change or to become fully remote workers or to apply to become fully remote workers as companies around the world look into a post-pandemic work environment and try to figure out the logistics of managing a more sprawling workforce. But in that same memo, it announced plans for 20% of the company to permanently work remotely. The company said another 20% of the employees could work from a Google office other than their normally assigned one if they wanted to. And the other 60% would be working normal office hours. But now they have this tool where you can choose like a different office and I'm looking at it now and it'll tell you if you want to, you know, it'll allow you to go for a hybrid work week or a no assigned office working from home, but it may adjust your salary based on that. So if you go from a more expensive city, so like if you want to transfer locations, this, this uh, little form here has said, choose where you want to work. Then it says your preferred sites. And in this example, it's Atlanta. So it says your compensation amount, it gives you a salary estimate based on a full-time schedule and then your bonuses and all that stuff. But if you want to switch to other sites, it's going to adjust that salary for you and then change. So if you go to a less expensive place to live, then you're going to get potentially less money, but you're going to be in a less expensive place to live. And I think that's an interesting take. I think a lot of people are going to choose to live in a less expensive place. I think it's it's really a choice, maybe over time, over money. I think I, I think it's interesting. I think this is a fair bargain. Like if you want to make more money, then you know you want to live in the bigger city. I still think that it it sort of negates the the you know the whole argument here. Is that working remotely just makes more sense? I I don't you know yeah I I think maybe if companies want to reduce you know, your pay because you're working in another city, you know, based on the region, you know, that, that makes sense. That happens anyway, really at a, like if you apply for a job in New York city and you apply for a job in Milwaukee, chances are the salary for the same job is going to be different because there are different, you know, costs for living in those cities. So this isn't really that different. What's different is it's changing your salary when you already have the job in the company, which seems a little bit odd to me. Uh, seems also a little bit odd to me because you know it's the tech companies are are certainly making enough money where they can you know pay everybody uh, you know they don't need to reduce people's wages but it's an interesting take especially coming out since Facebook for example is saying that within the next five to ten years they expect half of their employees to work uh, from home permanently it's a big shift I think uh, we talked about it, I think with Nora Dunn on the podcast last year i think that this backlash or this sort of pushback from the companies was inevitable because they are paying for office spaces i do think that there is some sort of 
prestige with having employees in an office for a company. And I do think uh, that it does, there is also some control that's sort of asserted over employees. You know, it, it, you, you I, I think for a lot of, a lot of, I think for a lot of bosses, a lot of people having employees in an office creates for a more controlled environment. I think there's something more psychological with that. I think when you look at it though, if, if you're in a lot of fields, if you're working at a computer at an office, chances are you can probably do that job at home in a lot of cases. I think for tech, especially for development, I mean, most developers, they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, it's not like they're clamoring for a social environment. Um, so, you know, I, I think people should be given the choice. I think the benefits are, are certainly there. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this fight goes on because it's definitely going to be a push and pull. And a lot of people have now had a taste and they now have the experience to say, hey, look, I work from home and I was able to do my work and I was actually more productive. So, ah, see, I wasn't just as good as I was at the office. I was better. And then there are all these other benefits. So maybe we should rethink how we're doing this whole office structure, which is really, you know, sort of a, a corporate structure that was created in the early 1900s. You know, why are we still, why are we still doing that? Well, you know, we have the internet, right? Like I can FaceTime anybody I need to talk to. If I want to talk to them, I can socialize. You know, I have the internet, all sorts of things. Anyway, just a couple of takes on that and the inevitable pushback from working or going back to an office. All right, just a couple of uh, other drone news, a couple of other things I want to talk about. This one's a, a little more serious. This is um, an article, just an update on this French tourist, uh, Benjamin Briere, um, who was arrested in Iran. He is now on trial. So he was... He's 35. He was arrested last year in Iran after flying a drone near the Iran-Turkmenistan border. Tell you that that just in general, not the best idea uh, in both countries. You you know, uh, I'm surprised that he flew his drone there, but it was maybe it was in a remote place and thought it was okay. Um, but it has now caused uh, sort of this international um, drama with France calling his uh, the charges brought against him incom incomprehensible and he is now being tried for spying so that is the charge that he is being that is being brought upon him uh, he was arrested last year for allegedly flying a drone and taking pictures in a prohibited area his sister has appealed to the president to president macron to intervene saying the spying charges are baseless iranian prosecutors have also charged him with propaganda against the system which carries a sentence of up to a year in prison However, his lawyer tweeted that the state had dropped the charges of drinking alcohol and corruption on earth, one of the most serious charges in Iran. The Iranian charges come just days after his sister gave an interview uh, calling on President Macron to get her brother out of Iran. She said he had become a negotiating tool and the charges against her brother are baseless. Um, and we're just going to keep an eye on this story because it's it's uh, it's pretty scary. Um, but, you know... I, I think it highlights, I think these kind of cases are probably going to unfortunately become more common. I think a lot more people are flying with drones. I think people don't realize that, you know, you know, with a camera in your hand, it, you know, you wouldn't 
necessarily go up to like a military installation and take a picture of it. In some countries, government buildings are sensitive. They would have signs posted, don't don't fly here and so on. But I don't think people think of drones the same way. And I think that's going to cause a lot of issues. Obviously, it's the reason I developed DroneMate to prevent or to help people not get into the situation in the first place. Um, so uh, it, it's something to, to keep track of. Um, but hopefully, hopefully the charges uh, in the case are, are dropped. It seems, from what I'm reading, it seems like an innocent misunderstanding, um, and, and hopefully they can resolve it without without lengthy without lengthy jail time. But in more positive drone news, I did come across this as a man flew through Times Square on a colossal drone. Now, this video went viral on Twitter. It's basically, if you know the YouTuber Hunter Kowald, um, you've seen interviews with him probably. If you know of him or you know of his drone, you know that he is the founder of SkySurfer hoverboard aircrafts where he designs, develops, and performs test flights of a hoverboard aircraft that can lift up to 500 pounds, 226 kilograms on its top. Um, he basically is developing, I, I suppose that, you know, the dream is to develop a hoverboard like in Back to the Future. That is the dream. This thing looks nothing like that. It's basically like a uh, you know, helicopter at your feet. It, you know, and, and this article says that it, this isn't Back to the Future, but it feels close. No, 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 it, it, that doesn't feel close. Look, Back to the Future, you make me a hoverboard, that would be probably the most amazing thing ever. This other hoverboard thing is like a, it's a helicopter. The blades are open, you're flying around. Um, but somehow he was able to, I'm assuming, get permission to be able to do this, to be able to fly through Times Square on a hoverboard, um, just zipping around. It's kind of interesting, uh, but I'm, I'm assuming that permits were required because, like I said, there are open blades of this thing. Uh, you would not want to get hit with a blade with this. You got to be very careful when flying it. I've seen other demos, um, them flying it out and you know over over a lake. It looks super cool. Like this would be just one of the most great fun rides ever but also the most dangerous like if you if you fall off uh, it's uh, it's pretty much lights out and uh, those blades again i keep coming back to those blades but uh, you, you got to check out this video so I'll, I'll leave a link to it in the description below um but yeah he was buzzing through the city uh, on a high powered drone with eight propellers and uh, yeah it is uh, hunter kowald performed the flight in april and then supplemental videos of behind-the-scenes footage came out um, uh, about this flight. So, hey, you know, you got your little drones and then you've got your drones that can, that can uh, fly people. So I guess we're switching from jetpacks to now drones that you can fly on. All right. And the last thing I want to talk about today is the U.S.'s lost ancient mega city. So there are a couple of... A lot of these around the world, some famous ones um, are in Turkey. There's uh, Çatalhöyük, which are these mounds of, of basically of past civilizations. The ones in Turkey are, are the oldest uh, in the world. So those are ancient sites where people would build city and a structure. And because they're making things out of, out of clay and dirt, they would collapse. So they would build on top of it, collapse, build on top of it. Um, there's erosion and so on, but but basically that's how it works. And so over time, you get these large, large mounds, and then they become archaeological sites. Well, it was thought for the longest time that these were things that were limited to you know the basically the Western world, but it turns out in the 
Mississippian settlement of Cahokia, vast social events, not trade or the economy, were the founding principle. So Cahokia, which is a UNESCO heritage site, says that there are hints that the legacy of a pre-Columbian city north of Mexico, it may have swelled to about 30,000 people at its peak at 1050 AD, making it larger at the time than Paris. And what makes this mound or the civilization potentially distinct is that it lacked a permanent marketplace, confounding old assumptions that trade is an organizing principle behind all urbanization. Maybe they were all working working from home. Uh, okay, bad joke. Anyway, um, quote, the archaeologist says, Cahokia was really a cultural center rather than a trade center. It still boggles my mind. I keep wondering, where were they trading? Who was making money? The answer is they weren't. That wasn't why they built this space. And he's not the only one alone in his surprise. Assumptions that commerce is the key to urban life have long shaped a Western view of the past, explains archaeologist Timothy uh, Paquetat, who has studied this site for decades. It's definitely a bias that has influenced earlier archaeologists, he said. While excavating sites in Mesopotamia, research, researchers found evidence that trade was the organizing principle behind their development and turned the same lens on ancient sites across the globe. People thought that this is a must basis for all early cities. It's led to generations of looking for that kind of thing everywhere. And Annalie Newitz, uh, like I mentioned before, she's written more about this place called the F in a book called The Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. It's really interesting. It's a site that I'm assuming you can visit. So it's there. It's a beautiful mound. It's a unique archaeological site that is just outside the U.S. city of St. Louis. So if you want to check it out, um, you can visit St. Louis, and then you've got this great site to see. There's a lot of interesting history and artifacts that have come out of it. Um, so, and it looks like it's still open. There's there, there might be still some parts of it that um, that are going on. So the archaeological work you might be able to observe, or maybe get a, a sort of a tour around the area. Just thought it was very interesting uh, that these sites do exist, and uh, this is one that I had not heard of. Um, so there you go. Another place that you might want to add to your U.S. road trip. Um, and I'll leave a link to the book in the description below if you want to read more about it. There's a lot a, a lot of information here. Um, but for now, I want to say thank you. I'm, as you're listening to this, I'm taking a couple days off just to recharge. And um, after this, we've got one more episode of the podcast coming out before the summer hiatus. Um, talk about hiatus in the next episode, talk about some other special bonus episode, which is also coming out not too long from now. But uh, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, if you're still listening at this point, you are amazing, awesome. You are a super fan. Thank you so much. Make sure you give the Fox Nomad podcast five stars wherever you're listening to this, Apple, Google, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. Wherever you're listening to this, it really helps. And if you write a little positive note with that five-star review, that helps even more. Uh, really helps get the word about the podcast out. Had a really well, I'll just save it for the hiatus episode. We'll talk more about uh, this year, but it's been a fantastic one uh, for a lot of things, but also for the podcast. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, but until next time, I hope you have a great rest of your day.